So whether you're here intentionally or you got lost along the way and stumbled upon where we're at right now, this is 22 at the Lips. This is the podcast from EMS providers to EMS providers and anybody and everybody in between. For today's topic, I kind of want to paint the picture before I give the big reveal of what we're going to be talking about. So imagine with me, you get dispatched to an MVC, motor vehicle crash, whatever you want to call it. And it's a motorcycle versus a car. You get on scene, fire department's there, police department are there, everybody's there. You also got the bystanders who they're all pulling over because they get all nervous and amped up, whatever it is. But you're getting information and everybody's there. They're holding C-spine and your patient's unresponsive. They're ventilating with the BVM. You cut clothes, you do your primary assessment and apply the C-collar, obviously, before you log roll your patient, you check their back, you're doing all the right things. You have it together. You've got this. You quickly load your patient up, make sure you grab the helmet before you go because you learned that in school. You fast forward to the flurry of checking vital signs, headed to the hospital lights and sirens, getting your IVs, stabilizing your patient the best you can, and you call ahead. You spit out your rapid report to the ER nurse or whoever it is listening finish your route. You get all the way to the ER. You're unloading your patient. You know what's coming up. You know what room you're headed to. You enter the ER, you see the trauma room, and all of a sudden, it is that flurry of nurses, doctors, respiratory therapy, probably registry coming to breathe down your neck the whole time you're giving report to get the name and date of birth, because obviously, you definitely got all of that before you got there not hating on our registry personnel, but ma'am or sir. Anyways, so it's the flurry, everything's going. And then it's that still quiet when everybody turns and looks at you and you are the one in that moment with all the answers. And if that puts some kind of fear inside of you, welcome to the trauma calls that we have. For myself, my first trauma room experience was during my very first ever ride time on an ambulance. There was a 16-year-old who, it was a GSW, so he got he got shot. Um, we get there and turns out it was in his gluteus maximus. And I'm kind of panicking because I'm like, oh my gosh, this is insane. But looking back now, our patient was fine. He was very stable and a little bit of pain. The medic gave him, I didn't know what at the time she gave him some fentanyl. We get to the ER and we have been dropping off to just regular admit rooms, just regular rooms in the ER. And I would pass by the big room with all the equipment. And I just like kind of googly eye and look at it. But this time we go straight to that room and I walk in and it's hot. It's so hot. And in my mind, I'm like, somebody forgot to turn on the AC. How embarrassing for the hospital. Apparently that's not the case. Um, so it's hot. And it was that moment of we're wheeling the patient in and everybody stops and looks at the medic and she starts talking. And I just remember look, even still to this day, looking back now, I'm like, man, I don't know what, how she does it, but she has all the answers. So and now I fast forward to my first time as a newly released paramedic. 
I promise you, I literally rehearsed word for word exactly what I was going to say. Like I'm starting an 18, then the left AC, that's everybody's signature move. And I'm like, all right, this is what we have. We have a visceral male and he's gone through this experience and this is blah, 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 blah. These are his injuries. This is what we've done. Get all the way to the ER. I'm saying it over as we're wheeling our patient in. As soon as we step in, it was that hushed noise, like the hushed, I don't know, almost in my mind, because my nerves were so bad in that moment, it felt like the silence was echoing. It was ringing in my ears. The doctor looks at me, says, so what do you have? And I froze. I absolutely froze. I forgot everything I was supposed to be doing. So I'm turning red from embarrassment inside of this already heated up trauma room. My poor EMT had to kind of be like, so this is what we have. And this is what we've done. My only saving grace for that entire call. So today I, for all of our newer paramedics, I want to give something that will help you along the way. something that I've obviously learned the very hard way. Um, I'm bringing on Matt. Matt is in the process of, he's actually in his fourth year of medical school. So it's way above my pay grade at least, but I'm bringing on Matt. I want Matt to kind of talk about this, give an insider perspective of how to perform a top-notch trauma report. So Matt, if you want to tell the people who you are, what you stand for, go ahead, my guy. Yeah, uh, thanks for inviting me onto the show. I really appreciate it. I've always wanted to to be on a podcast one day when I grew big and tall. So I'm very happy to be here. Uh, very humbled to be here along with you. You know, I've listened to a couple of your podcasts now throughout the last couple of weeks, and I'd love the one that you and Jeff did. Um, so I'm just really happy that I can be here and try to help uh, educate some people on trauma reports. Um, so for those who don't know me, my name is Matt. I'm uh, one of the instructors with Master Medics. I've been in EMS now for almost nine years. I'm currently a New York State paramedic. I actively work as a paramedic, and I've also recently obtained my flight paramedic. So I've also gotten to the realm of critical care transport with where I work, mainly just ground. Um, and as Alexa said, I'm also in my fourth year of medical school. Um, I'm getting my medical degree soon. I'm also getting my degree in medical education. Uh, so I like to keep myself busy. Um, however, school is not all of me. I do enjoy traveling and I enjoy playing my golf every now and again when I get a free moment. Um, but education is a big part of who I am and it's what I like to do. So I'm very happy to be here and to try and help maybe some new paramedics, new EMTs, or even maybe even some senior more senior uh, paramedics out there try to give a good trauma report. And I think that's something that for like a split second, I want to highlight on is that I know I said for my newer paramedics and stuff like that, myself included, I've only been doing this for about a year and a half and I still feel like a new paramedic. Um, even with experience under your belt and years of experience, like Jeff and I talked about previously, you always learn and you always grow. And hopefully this is something that I'm going to grow from. I know I will. Um, other people can grow from. And even if you could probably tell us before we say it of what to do and what to say, tips and tricks in your toolbox, hopefully you learn something else. So with that, Matt, I didn't uh, discuss this part with you, but I want to give a couple of uh, little rapid fire questions before we get started. Let the Let's listeners... 
let the listeners really dive into who you are. First one, very important. Pie or cake? Oh, pie. Pie, 100%. Not even a close, close comparison. Apple pie. And if you get like a scoop of vanilla ice cream right next to it when it's still warm, that's A1. I'm a cake fan, but I can't disagree with that one. Um, Okay. You're on a deserted island for whatever reason. You can only bring three things with you from the back of the ambulance. You don't know how long you're going to be there. You don't know why you're there, but you're just there. What you taking with you? Oh boy, that's a good one. What am I taking with me from the back of an ambulance in a deserted island? Uh, I I would probably start with the simple answer of just making sure I take all of the IV fluid. Does that count as one item, or is it, or does each bag count as multiple? That's 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 the question there. We'll count IV fluids as one. As one, okay. We'll take in those, and I can drink them, so I'm not wasting my time with any of the other <laughs> supplies there. So I can drink the fluids. All right, we got to make sure we have something in the form of water to keep going in case there's no fresh water there. Um, not the pasta water, normal saline, right? The electrolytes of lactated ringers, right? Yeah, no, preferably <laughs> the lactated ringers. You know, I do like my pasta water, but lactated <laughs> ringers would be better. Uh, I don't know. This one's this one's probably not like makes the most sense for for survival ship, but you know, I think probably the cot. You know, something to sleep on. You know, I I kind of like my sleep. I'm a big fan of it. So I don't know if sleeping on rocks would do too well for me. So possibly <laughs> the stretcher might be uh, one of those three items. And oh, the last one. I'm a somewhat young, healthy guy, so I'm not going to take any of this, but I don't know, probably like uh, one of the rescue blankets or something for some environmental protection. I could probably spread it out, make it into a little bit of a shelter if I needed to from rain and whatnot, keep things dry. Smart. Okay. I can get behind that. Yeah. I mean, personally, I would throw in the tourniquet, but that's just me. Well, you know... That that would have been a good one if I had thought about that, but you know what? We're we're taking the cot for sleeping. We don't care about bleeding right now. We're we're about sleeping. <laughs> I like that your idea is more glamping than it is survival. <laughs> no, nah, I'm just kidding. All right, so with that, um, so Matt, kind of give me a rundown of what should we include in our trauma report, and you can kind of go like maybe not so much specific types of traumas, but more of like uh, the general idea. So not necessarily focusing on a car wreck or falling from 20 feet heights or something like that. Like, what would you say is like the nitty gritty you must have in a trauma report? Yeah. You know, and I think, you know, these are stressful times, right? You know, you've got arguably... I think you could make a very good case for having probably the sickest patient in the hospital at that particular instance in your care. You know, you're walking into the trauma bay, you're seeing all these physicians who you may not be all that familiar with in the room. They're all looking at you, like you said, and they're expecting to get this amazing trauma report from you because they need to care for this patient. And you have presumably been caring for them for 
the last 20, 30 minutes, if you work where I work, maybe even an hour and a half. You know, some of these transport times for some of these agencies can get pretty long. So things that should be included in the trauma report are key to that person's care for the next foreseeable couple of days, depending on how long they need to be in the hospital. And I think some people make it a little bit more complicated than it needs to be. And they focus really big on mechanisms. I'm a big fan of a brief mechanism. You know, when I would, I've had the pleasure of working in several trauma centers now, being on the other end of getting these reports, and we get these brilliantly strung out mechanism reports. And they're amazing. They truly are well put together. However, they don't really impact patient care that much. Actually, the mechanism is probably one of the least important parts to be cared about in a trauma report. Um, there's not a lot of predictive value there. They don't really tell us how sick a patient is. They don't really indicate how severely injured it is. I'm sure we've all had patients where they've been in these horrific car accidents and they're discharged from the hospital a couple hours later with nothing more than Band-Aids and Tylenol. Right. Versus these other patients that fell from standing and they just have these horrific broken bones. They have all these injuries and they're ended up going into the OR 30 minutes later from bleeding. So mechanism should really be brief. I just like a brief summation. This person was the driver of a two-car MVA going approximately 50 miles an hour. For the brief setup, that's all that I'm looking for at that time. As far as what else we need to be concerned with is really what was your initial presentation of this patient? What was their initial mentation? I want to know is if when you got there, was this person up and talking to you? Was their GCS on the higher end of a 15? Or was it on the lower end towards a three? That's really what I like to hear. I want to know what this person presented to you as when you got there on scene. And that'll come in play later as we get further down into the report. But I really want that first initial impression that you have this patient. Then I like physical exam findings. You know, what did you find on this person? I think some people like to focus on the big flashy ones first. And when they're giving the report, they focus on this massive chest injury. And then they get really kind of scatterbrained and they go to the head and they go to the hand and they go to the knee then they go to the foot. Start at the head, start at the feet, whichever one you prefer, work your way up or work your way down. Even if the head's uninjured, you can simply say, head had no acute findings, move into the chest. The chest had an obvious injury to the right side, place gauze on it to control bleeding, move down in the abdomen. I don't think it benefits people to start with the big injuries and then get discombobulated and go all over the body. I think it's much more beneficial if when you're giving this trauma report, that you start at the head and work your way down systematically because then you don't miss things. Because there are very subtle findings that you can pick up on that actually have really big importance to us. And if you miss it, we might find it on our physical exam, but it's really awesome to have two sets of eyes doing this. Then I like to know interventions. You know, what did you do for this patient? What access do you have? Access is huge. Tell me what access you have. Do you have those two large bore IVs, one in each arm? Were you only able to get one? Were you not able to get any? Did you do an IO? I want to know what access you have, because if we don't have access, we're going to want to get access pretty quickly. But if you have that done, we can check that box off and keep moving forward. 
What medications have you given? Did you give pain medicine? When was the last time you gave pain medicine? I feel like that's a really important one that's often forgot about. And it, it, it does play roles in things. You know, we want to make sure our patients are comfortable, but we also want to make sure that we're giving them appropriately timed medication and not giving them too much too quickly. Um, if you gave fluids, how much fluids you gave, if you gave Zofran, if you gave some form of other anti-emetic, all these interventions play into role. And it's important that you give us what interventions you did. And then this is one that I find people often forget about, and it's arguably one of the most important ones. Did you get a past medical history on this patient? And of particular concern, what allergies do they have? Because if you show up to a person and they're initially conscious and they're talking to you, but by the time you get they get into the hospital and they're not, and they don't have any family, and they've never been to this hospital before, you are my only source of information on what this patient has for allergies. And what is one of the most common allergies out there? Penicillin. What is one of the most common antibiotics that we use to treat traumatic injuries? Penicillin-like antibiotics. And it's so, so important that we know what these allergies are. So if you can get us an allergy, we'd love that. I love knowing what their allergies are because I don't, I don't want to give them an anaphylactic reaction on top of the trauma that they're experiencing. So if you can remember allergies, that would be, if you take one thing away from this podcast, allergies in trauma patients, super important. And then the last little sum up that I love at the end of the trauma report, what was their change in condition throughout transport? If they started out at a GCS of 14, and by the time they got to the hospital 20 minutes later, they're now a GCS of seven, something bad is going on. Likewise, if they started out at a GCS of, you know, say 10, and now they're a 15, things are going in a good direction. We like that. We love that for our patients. I love hearing just a quick one-liner at the end of it. Throughout transport, this patient has gotten better. Throughout transport, this patient has gotten worse, and this is why. I think that's so important for setting the tone for the trauma team, for the ER docs, for the trauma surgeons, is that quick little bit of, I think this patient is getting worse and this is why. It just sets the pace to what we need to focus on. And that's, I'm glad you brought up the uh, one, the allergies, because I didn't feel attacked at that, but uh, I feel like you were coming for me at that one. Um, just because- kind of in that mindset, you get so wrapped up in, oh my gosh, this is a trauma. And here's like, you're saying the flashy, like here's a bone sticking out of the elbow, but like, I forgot to palpate the abdomen, that kind of thing. But that last line of like, oh, and they got better. Like, instead of me, I, I flipped through my badge, badge cards and I'm like, okay, now the GCS is uh four, six. uh uh And then like, I get to the ER and I tell them the GCS number and they're like, uh, okay. Like, so good. And I'm like, yeah, good. And they're like, okay, thanks. Um, so I, I'm glad you brought that one up. Um, I do, I want to ask this. I had a doctor say one time that if it's a trauma patient and you know it's a trauma patient, like they meet all the criteria, there's no question about it. In route to the hospital, instead of sitting to take the time to say like, oh, the GCS is the breakdown of, 
two plus four plus three. So that instead of doing that, just say it's a GCS of eight and then figure it out. Like when you actually have time to figure it out, what are your thoughts on that? I think I see where that individual physician is coming from. I think I disagree with just saying it's an eight and moving on. What I think the bigger takeaway on that should be is don't get so caught up in getting this pristinely accurate GCS on a patient. Because ultimately, the difference between a 15 and a 14 on outcomes, minuscule. What I what we really should be more focused on is being able to identify the difference between a 15 and a six. You know, like we want to make sure that we're able to recognize these big differences in numbers of GCS. So I like to categorize people into three groups of GCS. I care about my people whose GCS, okay, I do it. I get a quick formal one that's maybe not the most accurate, but it's good for a quick initial. And they're falling into the group of 13 to 15. Maybe they're a 14, maybe they're a 15, but they're somewhere in this general category. And then I have my second group. These people are a little bit more sick. You know, they're ranging from say like a nine to a 13. Maybe they're an 11, maybe they're a 10. Does the difference between the numbers make a big difference? No, the important part is, is they're not in that 13 to 15 group. They're now in an area where I have to pay closer attention to them. Then there's the really sick patients that are the GCS less than eight that I really have to focus on. That's what I think EMS should really try to move more towards is this grouping of GCSs rather than trying to get the super accurate one that can take time, it delays other interventions, and it's ultimately not that important to determine whether this person is a seven or six or a 13 and a 12. I like to see the groups and noticing, yes, this person's doing good, this person's doing all right, but I need to look at them more, or this person's doing bad and we need to start doing more things for them. That's how I like to do GCS. Um, I'm curious as to what your thoughts are on that. No, I, I, I agree completely with what you're saying. And kind of to drive home the point, in y'all's report, like that y'all are writing you're not writing the numbers that we give. You're writing kind of like the general idea of like, okay, the medic said the patient was this way, then they decreased or increased to this mentation or this physical aspect. And you guys start with your own GCS from the get-go. So kind of instead of getting wrapped up in those numbers, like I'll out myself. Sometimes I get a little wrapped up, even in just like medical calls, just because GCS, like you can break it down easy into... EVM, four, five, six, whatever. But at the same time, when you have a hundred other things going on, it gets a little bit more big picture than just a couple of numbers. So the idea of just saying outright, like, hey, they were GCS 15 or they were GCS three, instead of just saying that, just like, hey, they were able to do this and do this, but they were confused and stuff like that. I, that, that's, that really makes sense. I really like that. And I'm glad you brought that yeah. up. I think it, it's, it just makes things so much better for everyone involved because, because even in the hospitals, you know, if, if somebody goes from 
a, a 15 to a 14, yeah, that's something that we know, but it's not thing that we're going to immediately act upon. However, if we notice that somebody went from a 15 down to a 10, okay, that's a big jump. Now we need to investigate this further. They're changing quicker than we want, especially in the setting of a trauma. Something is happening here acutely that we need to find. And it's the same thing in EMS. You know, that's why I really like saying early, get a somewhat decent one early on. It doesn't need to be the most accurate. Categorize the patient into a group that makes sense for you. And then by the time you get to the hospital, do a quick reevaluate while you're backing the ambulance in or pulling in or whatever you whatever style ER it is, mine are all back in, but uh, do another quick one there and then compare. Did they go from a 10 down to a two, well, not a two, down to a three or so on and so forth, right? What was their change? That delta, the change between those numbers is super important. And that's what you should be telling the ER staff is that they started at a, what I believe to be a 14 and they've improved to a 15 or they started at a 14 and they have since gotten worse than they're now a seven. That's what we like to hear. Very good. Okay. Good little breakdown. I like it. Um, so kind of going back to the details on scene and just keeping it a very quick and concise MOI mechanism of injury. Um, what details on a scene are pertinent to your trauma report and what could be left out? Because anecdote is one time it was a motorcycle versus a pedestrian, something you don't expect, but we transported the pedestrian motorcycle was going about 40 something miles per hour versus this person. And it literally knocked their shoes off. And I remember giving this report and I'd said like, and there was a shoe, like the patient's shoe was located 20 feet away. And the doctor's like, okay. And I, I don't know why, like I grabbed his elbow. I said, sir, like their shoe was 20 feet away. I don't know why I focused on that. So hardcore. Could it have been left out? Yeah. But I felt like that painted the picture better than me saying they got hit at 40 miles an hour. Like it literally knocked their socks off literally. So what kind of details can be left out? What should be included? Where do we go with all of the things? Because there's so much to visually capture on these scenes. And then you have to verbally say it to the ER staff. Right. Yeah. And, you know, like I said, I said, I like that brief mechanism. Once that initial trauma report is done, it's not like we just disappear. You know, you're still in the ER, you can still provide further information. And even then, even when you're giving that brief description, there are things that do need to be like mentioned and made sure that are heard because there actually is evidence that some mechanisms are actually somewhat predictive of needing to go to an OR or of more serious injuries. And those include things like ejection from a vehicle. So if they were involved in a motor vehicle accident and they were ejected, that is something that should be told and relayed to the ER staff. If there was a fall of like five, six meters, which is like 15, 16 feet, um, that is a significant fall. Greater than that, that is something that should be relayed to the ER staff because that is, again, predictive of severe injuries. Um, and then, you know, things like prolonged extrication is, again, another mechanism, another, you know, detail of the accident that does need to be passed along. If it took 
30 minutes to get this person out of a vehicle, that could be an indicator of severe injuries. And then I think there's those special cases, these random traumas. You know, when we think of traumas, we think of things like car accidents, falls, you know, your GSWs, your stabbing, stuff like that. Burns. Burns are traumas. There is no difference in a report for a burn patient with one caveat. Was this person in an enclosed structure when they were burned or were they outside? And the reason for that is cyanide toxicity. If they're in an enclosed space, I want to know about that because that makes me think, do I need to also be concerned with all the burning material around them? Do they also have cyanide poisoning? Versus if they were outside, I'm a little bit less concerned about that. Non-accidental trauma. If you're concerned that this mechanism involved here was of non-accidental origin, meaning the possibility of abuse of whatever sort that may be out there, you should let the staff know that. That's a valid concern that may not be super critical to the immediate treatment, but it's something that we definitely want to know about. That's something that we need to be concerned about and treat that person adequately for. Um, and then, like you said, you know, I want a description of the vehicle. If this was a car accident, was there starring of the windshield? Was there deformity to the steering column? Was the steering wheel burnt and, chet and split open? I've seen that before where the steering column is burnt open on someone's chest. That's something I want to know about. I need to do further higher up imaging of that person's chest to look for injuries because the steering column was there. Those are things that I like this year. I don't need descriptions of finer minutia detailed of, yes, this person was involved in their entire back wagon of their car got smashed up, but they were sitting in the driver's seat. That's probably not the most important thing for me to hear. Um, and overall, I, I guess piece of advice is if you're concerned about it, just bring it up. You know, worst thing that comes up is we just say, thank you. Hopefully we're not rude about it. I can't guarantee I've definitely been, you know, not always treated the best, but hopefully they're, they just say, thank you. They move on and they keep going. Um, but if you're concerned about it, EMS providers as a whole are very good about picking out important things that they think can indicate severe injury. There's actual literature to support that that EMS providers are a good predictive value of a bad injury in patients. If you guys are the ones that are seeing this accident, if you think it's important for a trauma team to know, bring it up. The last thing we would want to have happen is this crucial piece of information not be brought up because you were afraid it wasn't important. No, you make a really good point about like EMS fire, whatever you do, whatever agency you're a part of, like we don't just disappear. Maybe it's kind of twisted, but I personally like just like watching what happens and seeing what they're going to do. So, yeah, we, we don't just disappear. So if like you're saying, if there is something that needs to be brought up or you feel like something is valuable for the patient care and to better paint the picture, um, definitely say it. And I think it's crucial in a very HIPAA compliant way. To if it's a vehicle and it may look pretty rough when you get there, you take pictures and you show the ER and then you delete it right after because that's HIPAA information. Sometimes uh, some agencies have like a phone that they keep on the unit specifically. Grab that, 
take your pictures, delete them, do what you got to do. But it also, if you're not able to adequately explain, like there was no intrusion in the driver's side, but the driver's rear door, whatever you want to call it, it was pretty smashed in. You don't want to say all of that in your trauma report, but when everybody's done, pull the pull the doctor aside and be like, there was no intrusion to the driver, but look at the driver's rear door. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, definitely. And I mean, I don't think we'll ever be able to to fully encompass what truly happened on a scene without photos. Um, you know, you can give us the best description that you can, um, but nothing beats a picture. Um, so if you have that capability and you can do it being HIPAA compliant through all of the details of that, that's amazing. Um, I know my agency, we have the ability to, to do so. We have dedicated cameras for that purpose. Um, but yeah, picture's great. Other things that I think are like sometimes forgotten about, you know, was there a fatality at this accident that's not being transported? You know, sometimes that can be very relevant. You know, was this person sitting right next to somebody who unfortunately passed away? Was there a fatality in the vehicle? Um, blood loss. As a whole, we are terrible at, everyone is. It doesn't matter what specialty you're in. We are terrible at estimating blood loss. It, we are awful at it. However, if you think there was a significant blood loss, let the hospital know. Let them know early because sometimes it takes a little bit of time to activate a massive transfusion protocol. So if we get a heads up that, hey, there was significant blood loss at the scene before you even arrive or just as you're coming in the trauma room, it just moves things along faster. These are little tiny things that can really help the patient in the long run. The 22 at the Lips podcast is designed to support, not replace the relationship that exists between a practitioner and his or her medical director. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the host, guest, and not necessarily of Master Medics. The information provided during this podcast is intended for educational and informational purposes only. It is not a substitute for your approved protocols.